Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Secret Language Podcast. Um, I apologize for the weirdness that this podcast has undergone for the last uh, two years or so. Um, I started this podcast two years ago, which is funny enough, since I've not even posted a year's worth of podcasts since then. Um, and that's because when Matt and I started this podcast two years ago, uh, we, and by we, I mean I, labored under, like, two real delusions. There were some two things that just I, I kind of thought would be a lot easier than they ended up being. Uh, the first of which was that Matt and I would be able to talk and record, you know, once a week, every week, for a year. Uh, that clearly was not the case. Um, we did not do a very good job that first year of, of recording together. And... So, beginning of 2021, I decided, you know what? I want to keep doing this podcast. I enjoy it. I'm going to take this on alone. And uh, that was fine. Except, this is where the second delusion comes into play. Uh, and that is the delusion that the idea that I can talk about anything I want week to week uh, will be super easy. I can always find something to talk about. Um, no. That's, that's not so easy. Um, see, when you're recording with your brother or with another person, uh, if you want to record like a 30-minute podcast, you need to have about 15 minutes of something you can talk about and hope the other person has, you know, the same amount so that, you know, you get half an hour together. Uh, when you take the other person out of it, then you got to have 30 minutes of something to talk about. And uh, it's not so easy just to talk about whatever you want. So, the, the double whammy of, I don't have Matt to record with, and then, okay, I'll do it alone, but I don't know what to talk about, ha has made this podcast very irregular, and I, I deeply apologize for that. So, beginning in 2022, um, I'm going to transition this podcast once again uh, to fix that second problem. Um, my plan is to talk about something and like have a thing that this podcast is about. Um, for those of you that have ever listened to this, you, you probably know that I like movies. And I watch a lot of movies. And, and I can always find myself, it's always very easy for me to talk about movies, to, to think about them, discuss them. Um, and so that's what this is going to be. Like from now on, this is going to be a movie podcast where the driving force is this is a movie that I watched that I want to talk about. And then, you know, I can close with, you know, goofy stuff, things that are on my mind, ideas, thoughts, news, whatever. Like I can, I can, you know, kind of goof around and do whatever with that. But like the real driving force is going to be movies. Um, I also plan on using the Instagram account more often. So uh, make sure you're following that. That'd be cool. But that's kind of the big news for the podcast coming coming into 2022, and I wanted to share that with you at the top of the show, because there's no promises you're going to get through the, the bottom of the show, which is now. So, I watched a lot of movies in 2021. I mean, so many movies that uh, I'm actually a little embarrassed to, to give you the number, so I'm not going to, but I watched a lot of movies, and I thought it would be fun to share my 10 favorite movies that I watched this year. Um, now, there are two caveats that come with that. Usually when people make these lists, 
uh, I want to clarify just where I'm coming from. First of, first of which, first thing, uh, when I say my 10 favorite movies I watched this year, I'm talking about movies that I watched for the first time in 2021. These are not movies that exclusively came out in 2021. There's there's going to be movies from, you know, a bunch of different years all over the all over the place. These are just movies that I watched for the first time this year. They're my 10 favorite. Uh, and, and the second caveat is that these are my favorite movies, the ones that I enjoyed the most. They're not necessarily my highest rated movies of the year, not necessarily like objectively the best, but just the ones that I enjoyed the most and that I got the most out of. Um, so I'd like to share these with you because ultimately I, I want to share the things that I enjoy and hopefully I can convince you to watch them and, you know, enjoy them yourselves and then, you know, get a hold of me. We'll talk about them. Like that's, that's part of the joy of watching movies is being able to connect with other people based on the things that you enjoy. So let's just jump right in. Number 10 on my list is the 2021 film directed by John Watts, and that is Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, there's really not much to say about this. Like, if I have to explain why this is one of my favorite movies, then, like, you probably just haven't seen it. Um, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero. I, I love Spider-Man movies. I love Spider-Man everything. Like, I even love the PlayStation games. Uh, the thing about this is that it's just really fun. It's actually the lowest rated movie on this list, as far as like what I've rated it. Um, I, I gave it three and a half stars out of five. Like it's by no means bad, but it's it is not near the quality of the other ones on this list. Now, the thing that I really enjoyed about it is that it is very similar to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is my favorite Spider-Man movie, and I think it's just in every way objectively the best Spider-Man movie. Um, the thing that I like about it is that it's similar to that one in the way that it explores the idea of Spider-Man. Like, this is what it means to be Spider-Man. And it explores that idea by bringing together, you know, multiple Spider-Mans from multiple universes. But instead of it just being, you know, these kooky characters that we've never seen before, it's like, these are the Spider-Man characters that you know, that you've seen, that you've watched you know, countless times, and it's bringing back villains that we know and that we recognize. Um, and so it, it was like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but just a little more accessible. It's like these are recognizable characters and actors that you already know and love. The thing I probably enjoyed most about it is the fact that we got Willem Dafoe playing Norman Osborn again. Uh, he gives the best performance in any Spider-Man movie. Like, out of all eight of them, Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn is the best. And the fact that we got even more of him is one of the highlights of my year, honestly. I, I love Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn, and this movie really just delivers. So I loved that movie. It was so much fun. Number nine is the 1964 Stanley Kubrick-directed uh, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Um, this is going to be a common theme in this list is, is a film that I watched by myself and then eventually ended up sharing with Sarah. So for those of you that, that didn't know, my wife is a nurse. And at the beginning of this year, we, we both got our first jobs out of college. And that means she was working on nights, which meant that I had a lot of time to myself to watch a lot of movies, which is part of the reason that my, my 
count for the year is so high. But this is one of the movies that I watched by myself. And I thought, man, this is so good. I have to show this to Sarah. And the fact that I watched it, enjoyed it, and then went through the effort to share it with Sarah and she enjoyed it, Just it just makes the movie score really high for me. I just really enjoyed this. Uh, speaking of scoring high, I gave this a perfect five stars. I mean, it's, it is a phenomenal movie. I don't think there's anything wrong with it in any way. Um, it's just flawless and it's, it's wonderful. So here's the thing. It is a comedy about the Cold War, um, which you think, oh yeah, naturally, very funny subject, Cold War. Um, but it, it's, it's a movie about the Cold War and nuclear war. Like, it, it's about a plane that's going to go drop nuclear bombs on Russia. And that's what makes this movie really unique, is that yes, it's a comedy, yes, it's a, you know, a dark comedy, and people are like, oh yeah, I love dark comedies. This one's really interesting because it's like truly terrifying. Like I find this movie really actually scary because this stuff could happen and it could destroy the world as we know it and, and life as we know it could be in just completely changed because someone somewhere decided to to demand a bombing run when it, that he doesn't have authorization for. Like it's it's truly terrifying. But it handles it in a really delicate way, and it's truly hilarious. Like, it's laugh-out-loud funny on top of being very serious and, like, existentially terrifying. So, it's a wonderful film. Like, you really need to see it. Um, fantastic. Uh, number eight is the 2017 David Lowry film, A Ghost Story. Um, I gave this four and a half stars. It's... This is another one of those movies that I watched by myself and then shared with Sarah. Um, what's neat about this film is that it's it's very minimalistic. I mean, it was shot on, on pretty much nothing. I mean, it had one of the smallest budgets that you'll ever see in a movie, especially for a movie from 2017. I mean, it's a microscopic budget, and so it's very minimalistic. But here's the thing that makes it really special, I think, is that this movie makes you think. And it makes you feel. So it's it's a short movie. It's only about an hour and a half long. But all of the shots in that movie are very lingering. They're very long. And and they just they're in it's in no rush to get anywhere. So you'll have shots that last on that just kind of sit still. The camera's not even moving, but it just sits there for two minutes, three minutes. I think the longest shot in the movie might even be four. And it just sits there, and, and it you watch these honestly very nuanced, very great performances, and you just sit there and watch them, and feel these emotions that these characters are putting off, and it's just it's bittersweet. Like it's it's not a happy movie by any standards, but it's not totally sad either. I mean, it's just it's very powerful in that way. Like you just kind of sit there in silence after you finish it. Um, it's it's cinematically very beautiful. It's shot on film. It's shot on this nearly one-to-one -one aspect ratio, so it's like very very square. Um, it's really it's just very simple and beautiful, and I love simple and beautiful films. Um, it's not really a Halloween movie, but it it's about a you know a bedsheet ghost, and so I think this will be a movie that I watch like every year at Halloween because it's just a high quality movie. And it's, you know, kind of got those spooky overtones. So, um, really simple and wonderful, amazing movie. I, I really can't recommend it highly enough. Um, number seven 
is the 2003 Bong Joon-ho film, Memories of Murder. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, uh, that's because this is the guy, Bong Joon-ho, is the director and writer of Parasite, you know, the groundbreaking Oscar-winning film from 2019. Um, this is one of his earlier works, and it's one probably, apart from Parasite, his, his most acclaimed work. So I decided to sit down and give it a shot. And, and the thing that I love about this is that it, it covers one of my favorite storytelling uh, themes and tropes, I guess, in, in that it's it's about characters on a downward spiral. And I, I find that really entertaining to watch. Um, the, the film is subtly actually very funny. Um, it's, it's actually really f- funny for a movie that's so serious in its tone. And, and it's based on real events and real murders. So, like, it, it's it's very serious. But it's also very funny and entertaining. Um, there's a really excellent video essay on YouTube about how this is almost an ensemble film, how how the cinematography and the way that characters are, are set up in each shot tells its own does its own part in telling the story. So like it's it's very visually entertaining. It's very funny. Um, it really sticks with you. Like I remember seeing it, and I like I just could not stop thinking about that movie for for weeks and for months. Like. It's just a film that really sticks with you and and the theme of the downward spiral and people like slowly deteriorating is just very fun to watch on screen, even though it's not like too heavy. It's not like depressing in that way, but it's still very serious and very good. It's it's a film that I very seriously enjoyed. Uh, I gave it also, also that's that's a four star film in my book. I mean, I gave it four out of five. I think if I watch it again, I might give it four and a half. Like it's, it's just... Very, very good. Number six on my list is a film from 1995 directed by Matthew Kasovitz. Uh, and this is La Haine. It is a French film. This is, I guess, technically the second of my foreign films because Memories of Murder is Korean. This is French. Um, but it is... Uh, nope. It's the second black and white movie on my list. Um, something you should know about me. I love, love love black and white cinematography i just i find it so enjoyable to look at i don't know what it is like when i shoot film in my cameras i like black and white film there's just something about it i love the way that it looks um this movie is is it got four and a half stars out of me and and it's very similar to memories of murder and a ghost story in the way that it just it just makes you think like you just kind of sit in silence after the movie's over and you just kind of kind of stunned by the time that it's it's ended um this really this film in particular really has some of the best cinematography in any movie that i've ever seen uh the camera work is very dynamic there's a lot of shots of the camera where the camera is moving with and around the characters like there's almost not a still shot in the entire movie i mean there are obviously but it's one of the things that stands out is how dynamic the the filmmaking actually is but what's really interesting about it and one of the reasons that i think the film stands up is that it's it it does a very delicate take on civil unrest and like police brutality Uh, and that's saying something because that that's you know it's very applicable it's it was more applicable earlier in the year than it maybe is in december but it handles it very well like Two, three of the movies in the Oscar Best Picture nominations this past year have been about 
civil unrest and police brutality. You had Trial of Chicago 7 and Judas and the Black Messiah. And I think this movie is, for one, just better than both of those, but also it, it handles it in a much more interesting and, and satisfying way. Um, now, it takes place in France, which, like, is fine. It doesn't make a difference. Like, you know, people are upset with the government all over the place. It's not just here in America. Um... But what's really neat, so like it handles that subject very well and very delicately, but it also builds a lot of tension. So like the, the film is very slice of life. So it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's pretty slice of life. I mean, it takes place over the course of one day, really, but it's, there's no like definite plot, definite conflict. There, there's kind of one in there and I'm not going to spoil it, but the ending by the, by the time you get to the last 10 minutes or so of the film, they've built so much tension. Like just, it's a slow burn. It starts off very, very lighthearted and, and not too terribly serious. But as you go on, it just builds this tension. It builds this tension. And and by the end, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. And, and at the end of the movie, like it just like, you know, cuts to black, credits roll. I jumped out of, I jumped off the couch. And I, I just could not believe that that was how the film ended. I mean, it was one of the best endings in any movie I've ever seen. It's, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's a criterion film, which really ought to tell you everything that you want to know. I mean, it's very, very artistic and very well done. And it's, it's just one of those all time great films. It's, it's wonderful. I, I watched that one back in like March or April. And I knew from the time I saw it, that it would be on my favorite films of the year list. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that this film was going to be on there. It's just everything from this point on really is just an absolute guarantee on my favorite movies of the year. Like it's just, these are all just some really fantastic top level movies. Uh, number five, it's kind of funny that we hit that right at that halfway mark. Um, just kind of interesting that it happens that way. Uh, number five is the 1957 Sidney Lumet film, 12 Angry Men. Now, if you've not seen this movie, um, I'm not horribly surprised. Like, it's very, very popular, very, very famous, but I mean, I hadn't really heard of it, and I definitely hadn't seen it until this year. Um, this is this is a five-star film. I mean, this is phenomenal. It is on, it is number, number eight on the Letterboxd Top 250 Films. Um, if you go to like IMDb or other, like any list of like the top 100 movies ever, 12 Angry Men is on that list. It, it is phenomenal. It, it's truly timeless, which is something that's interesting that this movie from 1957, which let's see, let's do the math. It's, it's turning 65 years old in 2022. A, a fact that a 65 year old movie stands up today just as well as it did then. It's, it's truly impressive. Like, that is so difficult to do. Um, it's timeless, and, and more than anything, it's really powerful. Like, it is it is the best courtroom drama ever, and, and truly there's no, like, none of the scenes are actually in the courtroom. It's about a jury. Like, again, I don't want to, like, really get into the weeds too much about what these movies are about as much as why I enjoyed them, but it's really powerful in the way that it makes you examine your own prejudices. Like... It, it, it is a movie that you feel good about afterwards, but like you still feel like the movie's not done with you. It kind of like, it sticks with you. It makes you think 
any film that makes me think is, is going to score very well with me. I like films that just that stick with you. So like movies are great because they can be an escape and it's like fun to jump out of your life for a little bit. But I also like movies that enhance your life by making you think and be more conscious, conscious, more conscious of, of the way that you live your life. Like it's really, film is really interesting in that way. Um, another thing that's great about this is that it's very claustrophobic. Like this film takes place almost entirely in one room and, and the action never leaves that room. And like, there are a lot of tight close-ups on all the characters. And like, it's just, it's very, it's like you're part of the room. Like you're just sitting there observing these people. It's very intimate, very claustrophobic. I mean, I, I can't say anything that's not been said before about this. It's just, it's a phenomenal film and you really have to see it. Like it's so good that Sarah and I actually bought, got it on Criterion the other day. Like the, the Criterion DVD copy. I mean, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. What a fan. I mean, just, I, I can't understate enough for these following movies, how good they are and how much I recommend them. So 12 Angry Men. What, what more can I say? Number four. Uh, this is also very funny. I'll get to this in a second. Number four is the 1954 film by Akira Kurosawa, Seven Samurai. Um, now this is not one that I shared with Sarah. This is one I did watch alone, um, because I know that she would not have the patience for it. Uh, this is, this is a foreign film. It's black and white. It's Japanese. It's old. Like it's kind of all the things that I'm not certain that Sarah will enjoy just on its surface. It's also a samurai movie. So it's, you know, not for everyone, but it's definitely for me. That's for sure. Um, this is a five-star film in my book also. Like, it's it's just phenomenal. The reason I find it interesting and kind of funny that this follows 12 Angry Men on my list is that, you know, 12 Angry Men is number eight on Letterboxd's... <laughs> That's really funny to say out loud. It, it's number 12 on the Letterboxd Top 250 Narrative Films. Um... Seven Samurai is number seven. Like, it comes just in front of it on now two lists, which is kind of funny. Um, what's really neat about this movie is that, you know, it came out in 1954. It feels very groundbreaking. Like, if you imagine films from 1954, you don't... I don't... I'd never seen a film like this that was that old before. It, it feels very groundbreaking. Like the, the cam, Like, the camera work is very dynamic. It's a lot of moving shots it's and that's very interesting like there's a whole lot of action a lot of really great action sequences and 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 sword fights and battles in this that i just i didn't think that they did that back then like i don't know why i thought that but i i did and and so it really struck me in that way um the the writing is fantastic the visual storytelling is fantastic um what's really neat is that it's paced very very well like this, this movie is three and a half hours long. It's very long. It has an intermission. But it, it doesn't feel that long. It's paced really well. It just kind of keeps keeps going and going and going. And by, by the time you know it, it's over. Like, it really does go very quickly. Um, but this film also hits one of my favorite themes in any movie. And, and it's, it's about stepping up. It's, it's about heroes and it's about rising to the challenge and, you know, possibly sacrificing yourself for the greater good of other people. This film is truly a masterpiece. 
Uh, it's one that I really want to own on Criterion. I just haven't been able to pull the trigger on it quite yet. It's, I mean, it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And because of this movie, I've gotten into Kurosawa's work. And, and he is one of my favorite directors. He just, he's very, very good. Um, I love all of his movies. I love these black and white samurai movies. Like, they are so entertaining. They're so good. He does a lot of films that are samurai adaptations of Shakespeare. And so, like, they're they're stories that are very recognizable to any audience. Like as that's that's part of what's interesting is that these are Eastern filmmakers. You know, they're from Japan, and it's the same with like South Korean films. They're all very good, but these stories are, especially these Kurosawa's. They're they're Shakespeare. They're like stories that we recognize, but they're told through the lens of like, you know, feudal Japan and samurai. So they're like they're a fresh interesting take on a story that we all recognize and know so it, it makes that that cultural gap like you can kind of push it a little bit with the samurais because we understand the story now just put it in a different context and it makes you know dealing with subtitles a lot easier just because you understand what's happening you don't have to think about what's happening and reading the words on the screen and watching it like it it's a very accessible type film to watch it's it's phenomenal. I, I can't recommend anything that Kurosawa does highly enough. I mean, he's fantastic. Just a wonderful filmmaker. Uh, number three is the 2020 Thomas Vinterberg film, Another Round. Now this, I, I've talked about films that I've shared with Sarah, that I watched by myself, and then I, I watched with Sarah. Uh, this one, out of all of them, has had the fastest turnaround of, of any of them. Like, I watched this alone one night, and then two nights later, the first available night that Sarah had to watch, like, to be home with me when she wasn't at work, we watched it again. Like, it was it was that good to me when I first saw it, and I, I gave it four stars first time I watched it. I was like, man, this is really good. I watched it a second time, four and a half. If I watched it again, I might give it five. Like, it is such a great movie. I mean, really. So, the only reason that I saw this, the only reason at all that I went out of my way to see this film was because it won an Oscar. It won Best Foreign Feature at the Oscars. Uh, it was It's from Denmark. And that's the only reason I even knew about it. It's the only reason I saw it is because it was on Hulu. And it was like, hey, this won an Oscar. Here you go. I said, cool. I watched the Oscars. I had heard about it. Sure, I'll give it a whirl. And, and I was not expecting it to be as good as it was. I mean, truly. Um, it's another one of those movies that makes you feel and it makes you think. Like it's, and, and it covers these really broad swaths of emotion too, which is really, really interesting. Like it makes, the film makes you laugh and it makes you cry, both out of joy and out of sadness. It makes you want to fly. It makes you want to drown. Like it's just, it, it feels so much. Like, it, it just does such a phenomenal job. Like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that movie right now. Like, I don't... I mean, it's it's so, so good. It's visually very nice. It's very creative, but very simple. Like, it, it looks very good. I talked about it winning an Oscar, which is really interesting. Uh, because I, I still think that it was majorly snubbed. Oh, Sarah and I went through the effort of watching all of the Best Picture nominated films. And out of all of them, Another Round is my favorite. And I honestly think it's probably better than most of them. Like, I think if it was put in Best Picture, uh, it'd probably be, like, 
second or third best movie recommended on the year. Um, I think it got snubbed for best picture. I thought it was that good. Uh, Mad Mickelson starring in it, I think should have been nominated for best actor. He was fantastic. Like it, I, I cannot say enough good things about that movie. It is so, so good. Um, big thing. There's a lot of talk after the movie came out and did so well that they were going to make like an American remake of it starring Leonardo DiCaprio. And I so hope that it doesn't happen because for one thing, I'm just not a fan of films being remade. There's just no need for it. Like if a film is good and does well, don't do it again. Like you're just, you're just going to offend people like psycho and 12 angry men both had remakes that came out around like 1997 where they just like line for line remake the movie. And it, it just baffles me. It's like, why would you do that? These are nearly perfect films or actually perfect films that just, what can you possibly add to it to make it better? And, and, and taking it line for line, almost shot for shot is just going to be offensive. Like do something original. Like don't spend a studio. Shouldn't spend its money to make a movie that's already been made. Cause you're just going to make people angry. You're going to make me angry. Like, don't remake this movie. I don't want Leonardo DiCaprio anywhere near it. It's fantastic, and it's almost perfect. And it's really one of the most beautiful and lovely films that I've ever seen. And it's definitely one of the best films that I saw this year. It's still on Hulu, actually. Like, watch it. It's fantastic. Number two on my list is the 2021. Very new. Very, very new. Probably still in theaters right now as this is recording. Uh, 2021 Mike Mills film, come on, come on. Um, this is a four and a half star film. It's it's really close to a five star film if I were to see it again. Um, this is one that we saw at our very fun, very cool indie theater here in St. Louis. Like we got to see this one on the big screen. And that's really neat. I, it's something I really enjoy. Um, but this is also on like my top four favorite films on Letterboxd. It's actually like the number four spot. So naturally it has to be very, very high up on this list. Um, it's really fantastic. So for one thing, it's, it's a black and white film. So it's already just something that I love. I just love the way black and white films look. They're very, very beautiful. Um, I just enjoy black and white films. But this is another one of those movies, and we're going to talk about it a lot more with the number one. Um this is one of those movies that is just about the little things in life that are beautiful and that make life interesting. So it's, it's about a, a man, you know, taking care of his nephew for like two weeks. It, like the consequences don't, or are not really all that important, but it's, it's about a guy watching his nine year old nephew. And it's like, he takes him around and he, he shows him like what he does for like, he's just like tagging along during his normal work week. And, and the kid is so full of life and curiosity. He's enjoying things that it, it just, it brings you so much joy. Like it's such a happy, beautiful movie, but it also like makes you cry out of joy and out of sadness. And it's really interesting because it's kind of interlaced with like poetry where they just like flash it up on the screen. It's like, hey, this is this poem written by this person. We're just going to read it because the movie is about a, a, a guy with a radio show and so like it's probably something that he would have read on his show and so like it's, it's just they're just going to read it and it's it's beautiful poetry on top of this beautiful film with a beautiful message it's 
fantastic. I mean, there's a reason that it's one of my favorite films just flat out. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, the, the thing that I really take away from it is that it makes me really excited to be a dad. Like, we're not ready for it. I'm not, you know, like in a place to have kids at the moment, but it makes me excited to be a dad and to have a son or a daughter to take around and watch them explore the world and see the beauty of it and, and see how this single guy's life changes by having this kid around. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful and wonderful. Um, and it was really one of the most bizarre experiences I'd ever seen in a theater because, you know, apart from Marvel movies, because of the way they do post-credit scenes and stuff, when a movie is over, like when the credits start rolling, people are gone. Like, you know, they're getting up, they're leaving, they're walking out. But with this film, um, the thing that they do that's really just incredibly interesting is everyone stayed. Like, I don't know how else to really describe it, but like in this movie, because he's a radio host, he's interviewing people. He's interviewing kids in the movie. But And so like what they did is they had Joaquin Phoenix just like actually interviewing these kids. And so, you know, you kind of get these interviews as part of the movie and like, you know, like it's, it's shown and it's seen and the movie ends and they just they just play some of that audio. They just play some of these, you know, interviews with these 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 kids and even though the movie was over, there was nothing left to see. Credits are rolling, but these interviews are playing and everyone just sat there and listened. Like that is how powerful and moving that film was, was that people just stayed because they wanted more of the interviews. They wanted more of just anything that was going on, anything left of that movie. People just stayed to soak up because it was so beautiful and so good and so pure. Like it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. I, I really hope that in the coming months it'll get some recognition with the Oscars. It's it's beautiful. It's such a wonderful film. Like if, I think it's still in theaters. If you can see it in theaters, go see it in a theater. Like if if you have to watch it at home, do it. Like whatever it takes to see this movie, definitely do it. And finally, the the moment you've all been waiting for. Like if you've stuck around this long to hear my favorite film. Thank you. I appreciate this a lot. Um, my number one film of the year, my favorite film of the year. Funny enough, it is actually my favorite film outright. Just if you look at my letterbox account, this is my number one film. And it is the 2016 Jim Jarmusch film Patterson. Now, this is one of those movies that I did watch alone, and I shared it with Sarah later on. And it's great. I just I can't say enough good things about it. Part of the reason that I enjoy it so much and that I feel so strongly about it is the fact that I actually watched it on a lark. Like, Adam Driver is my favorite actor. And part of that is because he's a great actor and I think he puts out great performances, like film after film after film. And that makes him fun to watch. But I've also gotten a lot of comments saying that I look like Adam Driver. And so it's like, I look like him. He's a good actor. He's my favorite now. And so I was scrolling through Amazon Prime one night, just like, Wanna, I want to watch a movie. I don't have anything in mind. Let's just look around. And I saw this film, Patterson, starring Adam Driver. And that was literally enough for me to watch it. Like, I was like, perfect. Good enough for me. And so the fact that I was surprised by it maybe is part of the reason that I enjoy it so much. But it's just, it's beautiful in the same way that Come On, Come On is beautiful. 
because it, it is a film about how beautiful life is in its simplicity and in its repetition. And it is about the main character Patterson. It's like, it's a week of his life. It's just him going through his daily routine five times. And it's just, it is beautiful. The simplicity of his life and the repetition. It's, it's really beautiful in that way. Like it's, you know, the cinematography is, I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but it's all good. And like, it just makes you notice these things. It's, it's poetic and it's melancholic in a way. Um, it's also very similar to Come On, Come On in the way that it has poetry interlaced with the film because Patterson, the main character, is a poet. So, like, it's him writing these poems in his head and, like, he just kind of says them over and over and, like, he tweaks things. It's like he's writing it in his head and then he writes it down in his notebook. And so it's got this poetry and it's, like, it's melancholic, but it's not sad. Like, if there's something about it. Like, it just captures this feeling of just, like, pureness and... Just contentment, I think, is the word. I think that's the right word for it. Like, you you come out of that film and you're just happy and you're content. And it's like, man, what a film. And, like, that that adds, like, that's part of the reason I enjoy it. But I think more than anything, the thing that I like about it is that I want to be like Patterson. Like, the main character is, like, the kind of person I like to be. He's kind and he's patient. He's observing. He's He's still... Like he's, he's unbothered by anything and he's, he's happy and he, he loves his wife and he takes care of her and he doesn't let anything bother him. And he's just going through his routine and observing the little joys and, and the things that make life wonderful. And it just, it's so good. It's so, so good. Like it's, it, there's a reason that it is my favorite movie. Like I, I can't even talk about how good it is without talking about how I've kind of fanboyed over it. Like I got a bonsai tree this year and I named it Patterson because I love the movie so much. Like he, he carries this, you know, old school Stanley lunchbox. And so like I bought an old school Stanley lunchbox, same one that he has. Cause like I, I love, because I love the movie so much, like it is like crept into my everyday life. Like it's, it's just that good. And it's just that enjoyable and that lovable. I, I love it. There's a reason it's my favorite film. It's still on Amazon Prime. It's one of their original films. So like, it's not really ever going to go off their platform. Watch it tonight. Like, it's it's not for everyone. It's maybe it's a little slow. Like, if you want a high paced movie, like this ain't going to be it. But if you sit back and like really focus on it and like really just let it happen, I think you'll really come out with a great appreciation for it. And it's just wonderful. So that's it. Those are my 10 favorite films of the year. Um, if you'd like a more detailed review, um, I, I just went into all these very briefly. Um, but if, if you want, I, I have more detailed reviews of these films on my Letterboxd account, um, which you can find me on there. My, my username is J underscore Arthur 20. Like, look me up on there you know, read the reviews of my films, follow me, I'll follow you. Like part of the things that I love about movies is just the fact that we can watch movies and connect with each other based on the things that we've seen and things that we like. So the fact that I'm going to be doing movies full time on this podcast is going to be awesome. Something I'm very excited about. Um, check Instagram and I'll, I'll start posting some hints as to what the first movie of 2022 is going to be. 
Um, thank you guys for being patient with me. I'm excited for things going forward. Um, happy New Year. I hope you enjoy, have enjoyed the holidays with your family thus far and that you will continue to enjoy them going forward. Um, thank you guys. Happy New Year. And until next week, Arrivederci.